This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to a Themeless Primal Screen, uh, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the studio are Sally Christie. Hello, Paul. The only way is up, baby. That's <laughs> Reese Howard. Yeah, hi. I don't have a, a Yaz thing to riff on there, <laughs> but if I can rickroll you in the course of this night's show, I will. Think on that. It's already been a bit of that going on. Uh, I already feel like I've stepped into a rickroll of some description. We'll bear witness to the daily atrocities of the Syrian civil war in the Academy Award-nominated documentary for Sama. We'll have our first uh, interview for the year as we chat to festival director Kirsten Stevens about, or oh, rather, deputy festival deputy director and programmer Kirsten Stevens about the upcoming Melbourne Women in Film Festival, and we'll travel through eight stages of a Pacific Islands woman's life as we check out the Melbourne Women in Film Festival's opening night film, Vi. But first, it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. QRKO beeps. There it is! Primal Screen News Bulletin. Uh, This week, implausibly, Sonic the Hedgehog's North American opening has set a new record for a film based on a video game, pulling in 57 million US dollars in its first three days and 68 million US over the four-day President's Day long weekend. Good... Good thing they went back and fixed the creepy little guy's creepy human teeth. I, so they, okay, because I remember this was all happening last year and I mm. thought maybe they've done another one very quickly. So it's the same film, they've just kind of fixed the... No, what happens is they released the trailer last year and, everyone and he went, had That's weirdly horrible. human teeth yeah, and everyone yeah. went, oh my God, this is a nightmare fuel. It's like imagine having a cat with human teeth. Yuck. It, no one wants that. Yeah. What about a monkey with human teeth? Wait, David Lynch did that. <laughs> we talked about that. That was last week, Paul. <laughs> So they fixed the teeth. So they took. So it was meant to come out mid last year. They pulled it. They fixed the teeth. They've come back, and apparently it's uh, gone gangbusters. Have they been working on the teeth for six months? <laughs> VFX teams, man, it's 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 sorcery. Yeah, um, there's no doubt they've been working on it. Um, apparently, the um, the I- entire board of the French Oscars, the Césars, um, resigned. Um, over the last couple of days, as um, they've come under fire because Roman Polanski Polanski's yeah, Jacques has led about this today. Yeah. the nominations, mm. um, which is curious. Um, also, good to know that um, uh, Primal Screen favourite uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, got ten nominations at the same ceremony. So, picked up where the Oscars ignored. Mm. Um, and we say a fond farewell to Diane Thorne, known better as Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS, um, who played that character in several exploitation films from the 1970s. Exploitation great. Goddess. Yep, she is. Where was that reported? Uh, I read it in the uh, New York Times. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm. She died at the age of 83. 
you didn't catch that one, Grim Reaper? Are you, 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 are you Grim doubting Ripper? Paul Source? <laughs> Oh, no, I'm just surprised that the New York Times ran with uh, an obit for someone most notorious for Nazi exploitation yeah. flicks. Mm. Uh, though they were a big deal once. Yep, um, they were. And, and would have been uh, on pretty interesting bills in cinemas. Mm-hmm. The, those days are long gone. The grindhouse days. Yeah, they are, unfortunately. And you don't get much more grindhouse than the Ilsa She-Wolf of nope. the SS. <laughs> Epics. Also, I think in um, if I can cut in for just a no, second, please do. Um, local news in what's happening with cinema: the Melbourne Queer Film Festival just launched their program, uh, and that's running from March twelfth to twenty third. And there's some ex- exciting stuff on there, so I think that's worth jumping on and checking out before you know sessions sell out early. So yeah. There's a few uh, there's a few myth favourites from last year screening in this year's MQFS, isn't there? Like the uh, and we danced, which was the yes. Gregor- yes. the, the, the Georgian Georgian. Thank you, mm-hmm. uh, Gregorian. Gregorian. We need sure, you here all, always. Sorry, they're, ma- they're, they're making how calendars. Say, how to talk properly? <laughs> tell us where things are in the world. Um, so yeah, that's uh, we're looking forward to uh, the MQFF. Um, I believe there's three local film festivals launching this Thursday, actually. Cause, so we've got the MWFF that we'll be talking about later. Yes. Um, but also the fa- the Fantastic Film Festival of Australia, mm-hmm. which is screening at the Lido. Um, and they're screening Black Noir, which I've been wanting to see yes. for a really long time. I'm and very excited about that. You know it's on a Monday night, right? Is it my... Oh, I'll be it, here, yeah. won't I? Yeah, same here. <laughs> or... Will you? Maybe I'll take the. Maybe I'll just call in sick that night. We'll see. That's the uh, yeah. So the screening. That's the Jordan Peele produced um, documentary Horror Noir, which was made for the horror channel Shut Up, which we still don't get out here because dumb reasons. Um, but it's all about uh, the documentary is all about um, African Americans in in the horror film, and it looks quite incredible. They're also premiering the. Um, A24's new horror film, uh, St. Maud, from mm-hmm. director Rose Glass, who's doing a Q&A. And their, their uh, program is incredibly expansive. Um, uh, head to uh, the website and check it out. That's the Fantastic Film Festival of Australia. Um, they're also doing a retro screening of the Australian uh, 80s Ausploitation film Sons of Steel. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And the other festival this week is actually slipping my mind. I'm trying to think. Uh, transitions? transitions. Thank you. Uh, the Transitions Film Festival, which is all about um, big ideas and environmental change. But that's screening at the Cinema Nova from the 20th as well. So we are film festival heavy this week. And that is the Primal Screen News Bulletin. Now let's see what's on at the movies. Summer. <laughs> For Summer is the debut documentary from Wad Al Kataib and Edward Watts. Structured as a love letter from a young mother to her daughter, the film tells the story of uh, Wad's life through five years of the uprising in Aleppo, Syria, as she meets a young doctor named Hamza, falls in love with him, gets married, and gives birth to a daughter, Sama, all while the cataclysmic conflict of the, uh, the Syrian civil war rises around her. Constantly carrying around a camera, capturing incredible stories of lost survival, and very occasionally, very very occasionally, laughter. 
Wad wrestles with an impossible choice, whether or not to flee Aleppo to protect her daughter's life when leaving means abandoning the struggle for freedom for which she has already sacrificed so much. Cerise. What? Did you, like me, desperately seek out a basket full of cute puppies or kitties after you watched this? This is... Uh, yeah, it, it's quite an experience, this film. It's certainly very, very affecting. Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that. Uh, it... it, it it bears witness to some horrific events that are pretty far from the pretty cushy lives we have here in Melbourne, Australia. Um, uh, lives where day to day your world gets smaller uh, as the parts of it uh, that the day before you had thought you still had access to have been bombed to smithereens and um, people displaced, if not maimed or killed. And quite indiscriminately, a little part of Aleppo that has become a breakaway part of the city uh, where the, a revolution of sorts, a peaceful revolution had, had taken root, firstly at the university, um, and that the forces of Syrian dictator um, Bashar? Yeah, Bashar al-Assad. Assad Bashar. Uh, propped up by Putin and a lot of Russian warplanes, um, are doing their utmost to suppress in the most unethical means imaginable, uh, to the point where the hospitals that uh, the filmmaker's husband is heading, uh, well, he, he's heading one of initially nine in this area, um, uh, the hospitals are targeted knowing that that is one of the most demoralizing things you can do to a, an insurgent uh, population who are just wanting to peace, peaceably get on with their lives and um, enjoy a time in which Christians and Muslims can live side by side and, and a better Aleppo could conceivably uh, have been forged. But um, yeah, this is such harrowing, harrowing viewing. And I think the, the mode of address in it, and yes, it's a, a film for the daughter of the filmmaker, but it is for you. It is always we, too, are that you being addressed. Um, and uh, it, it, it's a real challenge, but an important one, not to flinch from some of the scenes in this, which I, I don't think ever quite crossed that line to being actually exploitative. It's really, no, we need to see this. We need to see this stuff and know that it's real, and that it's not happening to an undifferentiated mass of people who are other, but to real human beings who just want to have ordinary lives uh, and who have a rich, warm sense of humour that actually I think does come to the fore a little more than you might have suggested there, Paul. Mm, there I is, think so too. There is some yeah. lovely humour here, some of it pitch dark, but other times just people trying mm. to make sure there's still some normalcy in their lives. And um, there are some very moving scenes. Something is as simple as one piece of fruit actually had me <laughs> sobbing like crazy watching this film um, on uh, just yesterday or well, the day before. I can't remember. It's, uh, yeah, beautiful. I, I watched this um, just yesterday as well. And it to say that for watching for Salma is a difficult watch, I think is an understatement. There were, I think, probably about four times where I thought I can't go on with watching this. But then went, watch it. You're sitting here watching this. 
you know, from a screen in what Cerise said, a very privileged life in Melbourne. You're watching this. You're not living it. So stick it out. Suck it up and watch it. Um, suck it, it up, buttercup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it was it's, – it's difficult but very, very worth it. Mm. Um there's, it, it's interesting the approach because we have this first person, somebody that's living in this area that is, you know, under attack. Whereas often when we see documentaries like this, it's somebody from the outside that's coming in and looking at a particular area that that's not their life. They're coming in to just document what's going on. But this is this woman's life and this is her experience. Um, and the key things that she focused on I thought was very interesting. Obviously her husband is a doctor so she was spending a lot of time in hospital but, um, you know, she's concerned for her child so we see there's lots of scenes with children which are very difficult but we can, I guess there was that kind of real tenderness with uh, nurturing with a mother directing this film that really came through with this. Um, Also, the way that... The children in this film, and there is a lot of children in this film, spoke about war, the normalcy, how they, you know, spoke about, they used phrases like cluster bombs and things like that. It was so shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also very, very tender moments in this film, particularly, I guess, with the marriage scene where they were saying that they just had to sing louder than the bombs were because, mm. you know, and that was really beautiful. There are a lot of beautiful scenes in this film, but... Yeah, it's it's re- it's a hard watch, but yeah, very very much worth it. I think, I, yeah, mm. yeah. There's been a, a handful of feature documentaries to come out about the um, the Syrian civil war, particularly um, filmed on the ground. Um, from the short documentary "The White Helmets" to "Last Men in Aleppo." Um, uh, being two of the most notable, but um, I believe this is the first from a female perspective, um, which which makes it quite notable. Um, yeah, this this was rough. I uh, I mean, yeah, it is absolutely necessary. And again, you are reminded when it gets really tough. It's like, well, you know, as you you both said, we're you know living in a cushy place where mm. the roof isn't going to cave in on yep. us at any second. Um, which is the reality of these people. I mean, there's that. It actually opens with a with a with a chuckle because they they you know she's looking for her daughter down as as um, um, bombing outside and the family are all sort of huddled. All the um, people are all sort of huddled in one area, and somebody has a go at has a go at the husband saying you you moved here saying this is where they never bomb and ever since we moved here there's been nothing but bombs. <laughs> um, um, it's and it, but it's immediately shocking because there's just this this casual kind of um, like the way the noises go off and nobody's flinching. It's, even it's even like, the way that some of the the child who in, yeah. when this footage is from she's a very quite small baby, you can um, hear these these bombs going off and they're loud and they're getting louder and louder and no reaction mm. from a small child so it's like this is this is her daily life she's used to these noises whereas me sitting you know in a cinema is going fuck like yeah. this is horrific mm. yeah you're constantly jarred by it mm-hmm. and these people these kids are just like yeah. um but yeah i mean there's uh, you know but there's lots of there's there's lots of scenes of particularly children there's there's one scene with a baby in this that starts off like it's going to be the most horrific thing ever committed to film uh-huh. and then turns out to have a happy 
conclusion. <laughs> that, that scene, um, I don't know. I felt, God, I don't even know how to put this into words. So hard to watch, but a really sort of defining moment for the film hmm. where there is this intense sadness with what's going to happen when, and, you know, kind of comes through as almost, you know, hopeful, joyful. But, yeah. I mean, it's almost, to be slightly, you know, wanky about it, that scene is almost feels perhaps like the filmmaker's metaphor, you mm. know, in a real moment for yeah. Aleppo. Yep. Like for Syria. It's this place that's been utterly destroyed. It's pretty you think it's pretty much dead, but there no, if we if we work for it and we fight, there is there is life there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is hope. Yeah. It's uh structurally this film is interesting and it's flipping back and forth between a, a, a present ish time and flashbacks to mm. various uh, months into the Civil War. Uh, so we do actually get to catch our breath a little bit and know that this his documentary has was made in a time where somebody could reflect. We know at least there's going to be some hope for the, the filmmakers because they made this film. Mm-hmm, yeah, and it, somebody got out. Someone yeah. got out. And at, at times we're clearly queued up to the fact too that someone actually got behind the filmmakers uh, someone external Um, there's another directorial credit there Mm. Edward Watts Mm. Um, his input is not apparent in any obvious way but now and again um, and with a bit greater frequency towards the end of the film we see things like drone shots Mm. some actual pretty the the director and the narrator whose name is escaping me right now yeah it's Wad El Khatib and her and her husband's name uh, Hamza El Khatib their surname El Khatib is actually a pseudonym yeah so they're not their real names and also she was I think throughout this whole process of filming this employed by Channel 4 in the UK and she was releasing a lot of she was releasing this footage to the news news services yes yes. yep and one um, and one an international Emmy for her current affairs and news work mm. for Channel 4 News. So I think there's a film behind the film. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there's a making yeah. of that we're not privy to here. I mean, this this takes us to see things that we would never imagine we would see really anyway. But um, uh, there's clearly some workings behind there that are fascinating to just even um, speculate as to how, how this came to be and how they got this footage out. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, the internet is enabling, but uh, the internet can also be blocked. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's, uh, they were, we saw that communications are, are challenged, uh, challenge, a very challenging environment just to, to organise anything. It's remarkable that um, people could be so organised in the face of such um, horrific destruction of their environment mm. uh, and, and with such scarcity of everyday uh, necessities. How, how they managed to run a hospital when there are 300 operations needing being performed. Uh, was it about 300 daily? It was, yeah. so, it was yeah, just some a day. unfathomable yeah. number when there's not necessarily mm-hmm, yeah. even much in the way of running water. I mean, how do you this – mm. this might sound incredibly banal, but how do you clean up after yeah, that? Yeah, well, exactly. It's, I mean, yeah. there was a lot of people just being laid on the floor yeah. and mm. that floor was dirty and people uh, – like sheets were being used as gurneys. Mm. Uh, it's just make it up as you go along Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with the few resources you have. Yeah, they, they did um, – before they left, they had a hospital that was open for 20 days and they did 6,000, um, yeah. saw 6,000 patients. That's guerrilla filmmaking, but it's guerrilla living as well. And yeah. it's, um, it's so hard. <laughs> oh, I was even. Incredible. Yeah, I, like I guess she had a little video camera for a lot of it. Um, part like times I wondered whether she had a GoPro strapped to her or something, like capturing it, because it was just so. Yeah, possibly. It seemed 
that there, there wasn't a camera in the way. Yeah, I don't know. It, it seemed like a hands would be full. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, quite, it's quite something. And it, it's, it's a vital document of an atrocious situation um, and a horrific conflict that um, doesn't seem to be nearing an end anytime soon. Uh, for but um, yeah, but absolutely, I, I agree with with you both. It's rough, but but completely necessary. Um, Fusama is now screening at selected independent cinemas. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. So you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So a new feature of our show for 2020 under the Primal Screen banner is we'll be conducting the occasional interview with key personalities in the film world, whether they be filmmakers, performers or festival programmers. Now, this Thursday, February the 20th, sees the opening night of the third fourth annual Melbourne Women in Film Festival, a not-for-profit fest aimed at celebrating and supporting the work of women filmmakers and creatives who work within all areas of screen production, exhibiting works of all styles and genres by women filmmakers and showcasing the diversity of women's perspectives through storytelling and conversation. The festival runs from February 20th to 23rd at the Capitol Theatre under the auspices of ACME at the Capitol. Wait, did I just say conversation? Uh, funny you mention that, as it just so happens that joining us in the studio for a chat is Kirsten Mitchell, the Deputy Director and Programmer of the Melbourne Women in Film Festival. Hi, Kirsten. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I, I'm now morphing in with our uh, Festival Director, Sian Mitchell. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's good. We're, we're becoming a, a hybrid collective uh, festival team. Nice. It's, it's so close and highly tuned, you've become the same person. <laughs> it's like the colour out of space that we did it last week. <laughs> oh, no, don't remind me of <laughs> horrific transmogrifications. So, uh, so uh, Kirsten, um, so you were one of the people that formed the festival. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a bit crazy for us to be year four already, it seems, uh, to have come around so quickly, but uh, back in late 2016, I, along with um, three other festival team members who are still there, uh, Sian Mitchell, who's our director, um, Janice Lorick and Whitney Monaghan, who are programmers and festival coordinators, we thought it might be a good idea to uh, fill a gap that had kind of opened up in the Melbourne festival scene, which was really highlighting the work of uh, Australian women filmmakers um, and creatives. And so we thought it was a good idea to put on the first Melbourne Women in Film Festival, short two-day festival in 2017, and we've just been growing and adding more sessions and more programs since then. Fantastic. Adding a whole day. Like you're yeah. right. it's, that's fantastic. Um, so in, in terms of um, program highlights, now our... Um, the, you're opening with um, Vi, which is a film we'll be discussing um, after this interview, um, which is a, a unique film. Um, it's an anthology film. Um, from It's eight segments from nine women filmmakers uh, from the Pacific Islands. But it's tracking the journey of one woman's life. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a really fascinating film and we're really happy to have it as our opening night film this year. So this year we've opened up for the first time. We had before now been purely Australian uh, women filmmakers 
and this year we've opened up to New Zealand and the Pacific Island. And uh, yeah, we're really thrilled to have this uh, portmanteau film that brings together it, it's sort of ambiguous whether it's exactly the same woman yes. but it's um a woman named Vi who we follow her story across a whole range of different um spaces different environments different ages um starting from about age seven um with Nicole Whippian um Sharon Whippy's uh opening piece to the film um and we follow it through until we we finish with an octogenarian um kind of the handing on um, of knowledge and into the next generation. Um, so it's really fascinating seeing these women's lives and the similarities and the challenges that they kind of navigate throughout the film um, in a way that's, even though you've got so many different author- authorial voices kind of coming mm-hmm. in, um, it produces a really cohesive, really engaging look at women's lives. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely film. Um, not to spoil. Our oh, no, review, I've, but... got, I've got lots to say. Like, <laughs> we'll talk about it after the interview, but, though. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. Got, I've got lots I can add. Urge yeah. our listeners to get out to that because yeah, it's, yeah sure. it's really a lovely film. Um, any other highlights you'd like to discuss from the festival? I, I know there's, a, there's an Australian feature, micro budget feature that came out um, uh, that had a few brief screenings last year called What If It Works? Yeah, so this is a, a really great sort of love story, unconventional love story um, that follows uh, two individuals that kind of bump into each other and navigate um, their personal uh challenges to connecting with other people um so it follows um one character that has ocd um another character who has multiple personality disorder as they sort of bump into each other literally and um create this relationship that we follow um and i'm really excited about this session because it's also screening with um another film that's looking at um a muslim woman who's planning her own wedding um, even though she doesn't have a husband la- lined up and dealing with the challenges of her family who um, don't perhaps see her as uh, within that kind of framework, um, given that she's also um, a Down syndrome uh, individual. And so this uh, panel, uh, or the screening, we're going to be following with a, a Q&A, um, which is going to be talking about that wonderful film, Amar, um, and that's a really exciting uh, screening that I'm very excited about going along to myself, um, having already seen these films, just being able to see it again up on the big screen. Um, so, yeah, very much looking forward to What If It Works. Um, but I think the thing that I'm most excited about, just generally about our program this year, is all of the the different kinds of voices and stories that we're seeing mm. um, in our program. Uh, so, as I say, we opened up to New Zealand Pacific Islands this year, um, but we've really sort of been overwhelmed by the diversity of stories that we're getting coming through. Um, we've got a film in our Freshly Squeezed Shorts mm-hmm. that is audio description. Um, oh, no. And so it's uh, telling a story without some of those usual kind of cues that you expect mm. in cinema and sort of thinking through different types of storytelling. And, and developing a new cinematic language as well. Mm. And there's also one thing that I really like about this festival is that how you foster this in young women. I am a school teacher and if, I think for the last two years, including this year, I always send uh, 
group of female students off to do the weekend workshops with, you know, for young, um, you know, school children that are wanting to be, become filmmakers. So I think having that incentive and also something that that is a free incentive for um, young women, you know, in high school to do that is absolutely incredible that they have that opportunity. And also this year you've got the Critics Campus. I don't with our wonderful Emma Westwood is on there. Is that yeah. the first year that you've done this? No, this no? is this is now our third year, incredibly, that we've done this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the the uh, brainchild of um, Whitney Monaghan, who has really driven this um, over the last few years. Um, and we've had some amazing um, experiences bringing in uh, aspiring critics at a, a whole range of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are, as you say, sort of almost straight out of school and wanting yep. to, to try their hand, but um, also people who have been sort of working in different areas and coming across. And we've had amazing mentors working with us every year, and this year is no exception. So we've got, um, as you mentioned, Emma, but also Steph- Stephanie Van Schilt, who um, is also one of our mentors this year. Um, yeah, so... Uh, keep an eye out, I guess, to to see what they come up with. From they've been there's a Critics Choice Award for our short films, and we may lock them in a room uh-huh. for two days <laughs> to um, watch all of our 47 short films. Um, so I feel like I've been there before. Yeah. <laughs> so I expect the uh, adaptation 12 Angry Women to be at uh, yeah. next year's festival. Uh, now I know you, the the backbone of this uh, festival is um, your short film programs. But there's a retrospective short film program as well that's really exciting. It's an exercise in discipline, which is a retrospective of Jane Campion's short films. Yeah, we're really thrilled to have the collection of films that we do. Um, And we're going to be screening this on Friday night. Um, And it's really great to, with someone like Jane Campion, to return to those really early films. Um, You know, she's an incredible filmmaker. She's still the only woman to have been recognised by Cannes, um, which is... An incredible honour and also that, you know, deeply disappointing... Um, an honour and an outrage. Yeah. Yes, yeah. all in one. Uh, that, that's a perfect way to <laughs> awesome put it. Awesome and kind of insane, yeah. 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 Um, but to go right back to her first um, kind of success at Cannes with Peel, um, one of her student films, uh, all the way through to her return to the short film format back in the, the mid-2000s. Um, when The Water Diary and Ladybug were both uh, made for anthology films, yeah. the shorts that she made for those. And the other three, An Exercise in Discipline, Peel, Passionless Moments, which is fantastic, it's my personal favourite, and A Girl's Own Story um, were all shorts she made before her filmmaking career mm. um, in film school. And Yeah, they're she, really great. She also seems uh, to me, just projecting onto this as a, uh, a well, a, a Melbourne-based Kiwi. I was just calling myself an Australasian. She seems a, a perfect avatar for this merging of uh, mm. Australian and New Zealand Pacifica content in your program this year. Yeah. It's no coincidence, is it? No, it's this not. This was the year. It was. You're absolutely. too clever, Cerise. <laughs> saw right through the Kirsten's yeah. cr- cunning ruse. Well, there's a lot of other, a uh, lot of other programming here. Just flicking through mm. the guide from uh, filmmakers from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and mm. um, I presume some of the other Pacific Islands. Possibly they're not as productive historically. They're little islands. There's not really much of an industry, if any, but there are pockets of filmmaking occurring. Uh, and very occasionally a feature film like the orator from uh, I think it was summer or some years ago mm. and Tana filmed in Vanuatu some years back um, but it, I, I think this is wonderful what what drove this inclusivity of of the folks from across the ditch and around the uh, the South Pacific well I think 
the nature of the Australian industry is that it becomes a little bit arbitrary at times to go, no, we're only going to focus on our borders when there's so much communication and collaboration and movement, um, particularly around the region. And there's just so many great works, particularly coming out of um, New Zealand in particular that we were aware of. And as you say, when we decided that we really wanted to put a focus on Jane Campion, uh, to then go, no, no, we're still only going to be doing Australian films. It, you know, to, we, we love to claim Jane Campion as our own, but we, we have to admit occasionally that, you know, she was born in New Zealand and... Has um, made some kind of New Zealandy films yeah. and, yeah. and TV shows. It's really and, weird how we do that in Australia. We always claim people from New Zealand as our own. It's odd. We're like, we're like vampires. It's odd. <laughs> Let's leave them alone. Yeah. They're not from here. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. Um, but we're, I think as well, you know, obviously there was a focus on Jane Campion, but we're really interested in this idea of multiplicity of storytelling mm. um, and the different perspectives and the different ways of telling stories. And the idea that women's cinema isn't just this one singular mm. thing, that really women's cinema is world cinema. Um, mm-hmm. And to think about really looking beyond um, just those close to home to to think about the different stories that resonate. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Kirsten, um, and chatting about this exciting program for uh, with us. And um, yeah, uh, folks, get to the capital uh, from Thursday the twentieth. Uh, and not just the capital, is it? It's- no, it's uh, RMIT uh, for all of our short screenings. Um, along Swanson Street there, um, as well as the keynote for some of our features. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So the, the keynote, is it the, is that, what's the name of that theatre in RMIT? Is it the... Like, the Collide. Collide. And um, in Building 80, the cinema. Fantastic. So that's uh, from Thursday the 20th to Sunday the 23rd, uh, the Melbourne Women in Film Festival. Uh, get on down there and catch up, uh, catch some awesome uh, Australian and uh, New Zealand and Pacific Island women filmmakers. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. You could do amazing things for your people, but you need to cut out all these distractions. I know what I'm capable of, but you just won't listen to me. So this is what she learned at that flash university, how to cause trouble. You have these thoughts. Vi is the debut narrative feature from my uh, Sharon and Nicole Whippy, Bex Aharanga, Amberly Jo Amua, uh, Matasila, uh, Matasila Freshwater, Diana Fuamana, Miria George, uh, Ofaki uh, Gutenbell, uh, Liki, 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 sorry, I'm this, uh, Tor- Thomas, I apologize. <laughs> now I'll never knock Thomas Caldwell again. <laughs> um, and Marina Alofaja McCartney. Directing eight short segments detailing eight moments in a Pacific Islander woman's life in eight different places, from an eight-year-old girl's drama-filled day in Fiji to a sacred moment for an 80-year-old in an Aotearoa forest. The film follows a similar collaborative filmmaking model to Waru, uh, which is a, a film from the same producers, um, in the, which was made by uh, New Zealand filmmakers in 2017. Only uh, the link between each story is a female one, and I believe they're all filmed in one shot each. Almost. Almost, yep. Um, 
So, Sally, how do uh, how, uh, your thoughts? My thoughts on Vi? I um, have no zinger. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I've always said you're putting too much pressure on yourself, Paul, with the zingers. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I, I am not overly a huge fan of kind of anthology films, but. I felt like this was really an exception. Um, although we had, was it, so eight different segments, nine different directors, it flowed beautifully with different locations, different actors. There was a real consistency about this film and it never felt jarring at all to watch. Um, it was just a really, I think, nice meditation on womanhood and that, you know, different journeys there. Uh so, as Paul said, there's lots of long takes in this, almost, you know, sort of single takes in a lot of them. It's visually just absolutely gorgeous. And um, I found out that the word vi means water in lots of different Pacific languages. And it feels like that to watch. It flows mm. beautifully. It flows like water. I know that sounds a little bit so, cheesy. Sounds a little Bruce Lee. But Be water, mate. It's, it really did feel like that. It was so much gorgeousness to this film. Happiness. Um, and just it made me really yearn for the fact that we don't have a lot of ceremony and ritual in this country. That's what I really took away from this. The... Particularly white Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, that's what I found really remarkable about this was the ceremony and the ritual that came through specifically sort of towards the end of the film. But absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous film. And like I said, I don't, as a whole, I don't really love anthology things, but this was really great. Well, it's not a conventional Mm. anthology. It's not a conventional narrative feature exactly either. There's continuity, but there's also ambiguity about whether this is could possibly be the same woman in multiple manifestations because each one has a slightly different cultural context. I know this, this feels like, God, such an off thing to say, but um, one thing that it did kind of remind me of was palindromes. Mm. Remember palindromes? Todd Solondas. Yeah. I was thinking of like something like I'm not there. Yeah, no, like that, that's, that's what it reminded yeah. me, you know, obviously clearly not a storyline, but, um, yeah, that kind of way that it was approached. Yeah. Mm. The business, uh, the relationship between people and water is key to this. It even opens with a, a quote, uh, to paraphrase the significance of is just to, to state that humans and salt water are things that um, are, are very close. Uh, humans have salty tears and sweat. We, we, and, and all of these islands, uh, these are all surrounded by salt water. It's, and we see water endlessly throughout. There's only, only one of the eight shorts isn't watery. Mm. The rest always have water within the shop pretty well. and But then the connection to land is very critical for the people here. And a lot of the the drama in this relates to people agonising over or feeling profoundly ambivalent towards whether they leave their islands in order to try to eke out a, a notionally better existence in New Zealand, often with the support of a whole village behind them and the pressures that that brings, that imposes upon them which they don't necessarily relish. Um, I, I found this a really beautiful, beautiful film, and I, I really admire the way it, it constructed a, a continuity when it is, in fact, discontinuous. Mm. It is an anthology mm. film, but it is also a feature-length narrative just running on theme rather than continuity of cast or 
or necessarily plot because there are little deviations here or there which tell you that this episode can't quite be this the same continuing uh, story as in the previous one or the one before that mm. but it's so elegantly done and I think it was the same cinematographer in every short hence yes. that yeah, he was one too. credit yep. yeah and it, yeah the cinematography is stunning the choreography of these long shots is spectacular yeah for something that's you know clearly micro budget the cinematography is outstanding um Drew Sturge I believe the mm-hmm. cinematographer's name is um like there's there's a one that uh, one of the shorts takes place completely on water and there's an aerial shot and an underwater shot all in the same shot. And I, I was baffled as to how they did it. Yeah, um, stunning. It's mm. so good. Um, yeah, there's so many little great character moments here. Yeah, there is that ambiguity over who is this Is this one person or is this uh, almost like a universality? Like, you yep. know, all of our experiences are this experience. Um, and, you know, it just gives you a real, some beautiful cultural insights, you know, into, into a culture we don't, you know, have everyday common access to. Um, uh, a lot better than some other much um, vaunted films that apparently did that sort of thing and don't. <laughs> the farewell. Um, <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen that. It's boring. Um, <laughs> but no, there's. Uh, but, I won't see it there. But Vi is. But Vi is really wonderful. I, I just got to the end of it. And thought, That's a really lovely film. Like it's just so full of spirit and so full of joy and um, and defiance and. Um, and humour and low-key sadness. And, yeah, yeah I, I, I th- really dug this film. I think last week when we are here, Cerise, we are talking about the Oscars, we are talking about Parasite, and um, Cerise was saying that there's so many worthy films that are being, you know, shot around the world all the time, but for whatever reason Parasite's been focused on for the Oscars. Really great example were the two films we looked at this week, even though for Samuel Walls nominated wasn't it yes it but was. it just yeah i think these two films that we looked at this week just really incredible insights into very different cultures and, and privileging yep. women's perspectives exactly which yep. there can always be more of and mm-hmm. hence our guest on this week's show as well exactly. kirsten stevens from the melbourne women and film festival <laughs> that name again kirsten <laughs> stevens <laughs> thank you cerise for tying it all together you are listening to primal screen on triple r Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We discussed For Sama, now screening at all good independent cinemas. We spoke to Kirsten Stevens from the Melbourne Women in Film Festival and we looked at Vi, which opens the Melbourne Women in Film Festival, the entire program for which you can find at their website, mwff.com. Dot org. Oh, Dot au. Thank I God you're here, Cerise. Yeah, someone's awake. Um, <laughs> mwff.org.au. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcast. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 